business rock stars. Kelly Kennedy here. And today I wanted to introduce you to my business, Capital Business Development, where we don't just see businesses. We see your potential to change the world. We see your passion, your dedication, and drive to do something extraordinary. And we're here to help you bring that vision to life. At Capital Business Development, we understand that behind every business is a visionary, someone with the determination to make a difference. Whether you're a startup with a big idea or an established company aiming to expand your impact, we're here to support you every step of the way. Our mission goes beyond traditional business development. We're committed to nurturing your dreams and empowering you to achieve greatness. From strategic planning and networking to hands-on support and personalized coaching, we provide the tools and guidance you need to succeed. So if you're ready to transform your vision into reality, look no further than Capital Business Development. Visit us today at www.capitalbd.ca to learn more about how we can help you unleash your potential to change the world. Your dreams matter. Let's make them happen together. Thanks for listening. Let's get back to the show. The great Mark Cuban once said, business happens over years and years. Value is measured in the total upside of a business relationship, not by how much you squeezed out in any one deal. And we couldn't agree more. This is the Business Development Podcast, based in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and broadcasting to the world. You'll get expert business development advice, tips and experiences, and you'll hear interviews with business owners, CEOs, and business development reps. You'll get actionable advice on how to grow business. Brought to you by Capital Business Development, capitalbd.ca. Let's do it. Welcome to the Business Development Podcast. And now your expert host, Kelly Kennedy. Hello, welcome to episode 64 of the Business Development Podcast. And I am incredibly excited for the show that we have today. I have somebody that I know that I've wanted to have on the show for quite some time, and I'm incredibly thankful that he has decided to grace us with his presence. Today, we are chatting with Curtis Craig of Inferno Solar, based right here in Edmonton, Alberta. They are leading the solar charge in Alberta, and I'm, I'm honored to have him on. Curtis is a dynamic force in the field of electrical engineering and sustainable energy, boasting an impressive journey that spans back to 2007. With his wealth of experience, he embarked on a transformative path, establishing Inferno Solar in early 2019 to turn a lifelong dream of entrepreneurship into reality. In a remarkable span of fewer than five years, Curtis, alongside the dedicated Inferno Solar team, has left an indelible mark on the sustainable energy landscape. Their tireless efforts have led to the successful installation of over 18,000 cutting-edge solar panels, generating a staggering 7.5 megawatts of clean, renewable energy and roughly 8 million kilowatt hours per year across the province. This remarkable achievement has also translated into an annual reduction of over 4,100 tons of CO2 emissions, playing a pivotal role in the mission to decarbonize business in Western Canada. Notably, Curtis's outstanding contributions were recognized in November of 2020 when he earned a well-deserved place among the prestigious Top 40 Under 40 in Canadian construction, an accolade that speaks volumes about his leadership and his impact in the industry. Beyond his professional accomplishments, Curtis is a multifaceted individual who finds solace and joy in various pursuits. When he is not meticulously quoting a project or engaging with clients, you'll find him on two wheels, pedaling through scenic landscapes, testing his skills on the golf course, or relishing in quality family time as he strolls through the neighborhood with his beloved wife and two adorable baby boys. Curtis's dedication to innovation, sustainability, and community, both in and out of the boardroom, makes him a remarkable individual whose journey continues to inspire and make a lasting impact on the world of clean energy and beyond. Curtis, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. How are you today? I'm well. Thank you for those kind words, Kelly. No, man. Thank you. You know, like, there's not a lot of people in your space. It is not... It is a growing space. And, you know, it's like 
whenever, you know, you know me, I'm around the city all the time. I'm talking to lots and lots of business owners. I'm in lots of meetings. And basically everywhere I go that there's solar panels on the roof, it's Inferno Solar that put them there. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a, a few of us in the space for sure. Um, but I think that we're, we're making a pretty big impact and a big splash. Yeah, yeah. No, I, so I've had the pleasure of knowing you. We met when I was working with Gordon Orser at IPEX Systems a few years ago. So I've had the pleasure of knowing you for a few years and kind of seeing how far you've come in that time. And the landscape is definitely changing. And, uh, you know, Inferno is making its mark. Yeah, no, we're really enjoying it. Um, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a rapidly evolving space with really good tailwinds um you know there's obviously a lot of societal pressure investment pressure uh to meet various environmental social governance csg or corporate social responsibility csr goals so a, a lot of you know the bigger companies that we're working with you know publicly traded national brands um that's a big part of it is that their executive has set certain targets we wanted to decarbonize x amount in the next decade and um you know the managers on the ground the gms of the stores etc you know they're like well, how the heck are we going to pull this off and that's where we come in as we try to provide value there of just like you know that there is a way to do this achieve those goals and save money and uh that's really what's speaking volumes to to our customer base and i think a key to our success I think that this is a subject, I think a lot of people are trying to figure out how to do business cleaner. I, I really do. I, I think that that is the general trend of, of not just, not just, you know, um, the political landscape. I want to say that genuinely businesses are trying to find ways to do business in an ethical, clean way. And not to mention, there's also value. There's, there's dollar cost value in doing things cleanly. Um, you know, the reality is solar is an efficient way to save money over time as well, if done correctly. And I think that's something that your team probably puts in front of a lot of these business owners when they're building these buildings saying like, look, yeah, there's an upfront cost, but there's a long term cost benefit. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, a big part of our success, I think, is that you can do two things, right? You can buy electricity from the grid. That's the old way. Or you can buy some of it from the grid and a lot of it from a rooftop solar array. Uh, and that, you know, that's the new way, right? And uh, just to talk about power prices from the grid side of things, in 2020, the on-peak average price, so that's the daytime price, the on-peak average price was 54 bucks a megawatt hour or 5.4 cents a kilowatt hour. In 2022, it was 19.2 bucks, sorry, 192 bucks a megawatt hour or 19.2 cents a kilowatt hour. So that's, uh, I don't know, quick math, that's four and a half times. That's huge. In two years. Yeah. So th yeah, that's a big part of why people, that, that's the value proposition for solar is like, man, like I, I, I'm getting hammered on my electricity bills. Or maybe some folks are, uh, you know, they're on a five-year contract that they signed in 2019. Well, next year, things coming. It's going to be ugly, right? You're going to yeah. be like, "Oh my god, this is power's gone up four times." What the yeah. heck? Yeah. So, um, you know, that that's part of the conversation for sure. And you know, what's not going to help that is war in Ukraine pushing up the price of uh, natural gas. That's what sets the price of power in Alberta. And then this carbon tax from the federal government—that's fifteen bucks a ton a year. We're at sixty bucks a ton right now. We're at. 45, I guess, last year, or was it 50 last year? So it'll go to 80 bucks a ton next year. And that's going to show up on the price of natural gas, which is going to show up on the price of power. Yeah, well, you know, like, we recently moved to to West Edmonton, which has been awesome. But man, like the cost of power and, and utilities prices here is absolutely crazy. Like, uh, yeah, absolutely. Like I would say no question the cost of energy, you know, in Alberta over the past two, three years has doubled, if not tripled. And it yeah, it's it hurts. It's like everything in Canada right now is just so bloody expensive. The last place you want to get hit is on those bills that you have no choice but to pay. Yeah, no, it's uh, yeah. So, you know, it, when I talk about tailwinds, that's that's part of it. And then government, rightly or wrongly, and I'm not here to opine on on various targets that have been set but uh you know there's a we talk about tailwinds there's a there's this decarbonization or electrification of cars 
that's coming. You know, they're kind of saying, well, no passenger vehicles can be sold with a gas engine by 2035, I think. Wow. And even by 2026, it's going to be 20% of all new cars have to be sold electric. Well, that's going to add a bunch of demand to the grid, which is going to show up in increased power prices. Um, as well as uh, you got the Fed saying, well, uh, we need to have a net zero carbon grid, I think also by 2035. So all of this natural gas generation that just got built, whatever. Point is, there's a lot of tailwinds that are going to put upward pressure on power prices, which make generating power on your own roof, that's currently doing nothing but keeping the rain out. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe storing it on site. We're trying to figure out what is the value add of on-site storage. And then, uh, you know, if you have to electrify your fleet, well, you're going to have to generate it on site, store on site, and then charge that fleet on site. So those are the areas that I find really interesting. You know, correct me if I'm wrong, Curtis, but like, you know, just judging from, you know, some of the discussions you're saying with that, with that extra demand on the grid, and we know, we know the grid as it is right now can barely handle any more demand than what we're already putting on it. There's not going to be another option. Like, we have to have another option and and it feels like solar has to be it uh yeah it, it's going to play a part you know a lot of a lot of different technologies will play a part i think that we need to be encouraging um connection between further connection between british columbia and alberta as well mm -hmm. you know if we have for example great wind and solar resources and good cogeneration resources as well um that are uh, not necessarily dispatchable but then they have a wonderful hydro resource that is dispatchable. Well, maybe we can actually have like a daytime arbitrage where we're generating more power during the day, shipping some of that to BC, then at night maybe they're shipping some back. There's going to be a role for a lot of different technologies to play. Um, I just want to challenge the thing about like the grid not having capacity. I, I know that, you know, from time to time, there'll be these like grid alerts and, and there'll be demand shedding and stuff like that. Yeah. But if we just look at, the Alberta electric system operator, their page that describes how the system is performing today. Well, we have 19.7 gigawatts of generation capacity, and we're currently using, looks like 9.4. So we're, we're using less than half. So yeah. on a hot day, everybody's air conditioning is running. Yes, that number goes up. And yes, they try to shed some of the demand that can be shed, but um, they're, I don't think this is an existential problem. I think that creative people will find opportunities here and there'll be a lot of money that gets made by a lot of people. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And especially in Alberta, right? We are an incredibly innovative bunch. I'm very proud of my fellow Albertans. I think we do a great job. We have a massive booming tech sector here that's always finding new solutions. And we have companies like yours that's also finding ways to, to maximize the next generation. And I, I absolutely love it. Can you take us back to the beginning, Curtis? Like what? What led you down this path to start Inferno Solar? Um, I've uh, I've been a, a very independent, I would say, uh, person for a long time, but, uh, and so um, I, I think it was kind of always in my my DNA and my makeup to want to hang my own shingle up one day and go my own in business. Um, in tandem with that, our family, I would say, has very strong sustainability roots, but from a different lens than you would expect not from the granola eating direction but from the uh my, my grandfather moved here from carrot river saskatchewan in the uh, 1960s and um he had 11 children and and a big farm uh near joffrey alberta some of my uncles went on to work at the joffrey petrochemical plant um but we were an organic family before organic was a thing because that's okay. when you had no money and yeah. a lot of kids. That's what you had to do. So, I mean, uh, we have a two-acre garden out there. So, even yeah. as kids, we'd go out and plant potatoes and peas and carrots and dill and strawberries and raspberries. And, that, like, the whole month of August was, like, picking all this produce. So, as a child, I absolutely hated it because yeah. you just laboring in the sun. You'd rather be at the lake or something. Um, but, uh, yeah, like, you know, we, we kind of grew up with this kind of organic, sustainable, uh, lifestyle. Um, my father's an electrician as well. And so, um, naturally I followed him into the trade, uh, in high school. Um, I don't think he 
thought I would be, I, I was maybe a bit lazy as a child. So he, I don't think he wanted to uh, bring me straight into the electrical company right off the bat. So yeah, my first job was, my first construction job was sweeping floors uh, for general contractor. But then once I proved I could get up and get on site for seven in the morning every day, then uh, he gave me a crack at coming to work for them. Uh, and Red Deer at a commercial contractor called AAA Electric. And I did my apprenticeship there. Um, and I got my ticket when I was very young, 21. Um, I, I think that's pretty young. That's pretty so young. Had, yes. Had apprentices that were, you know, in their 30s and 40s. And here I'm half their age. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, but anyways, um, I was seeing a girl at the time whose father was a journeyman carpenter and a civil engineer. And uh, I credit him a lot, actually, with uh, encouraging me to go back to university. Um, the words he used was, "Get apply to, to engineering, it will take the ceiling off your career. And I really am very thankful for that advice because, you know, it, it ultimately was true. And I uh, eventually met my wife at the University of Calgary, got an electrical engineering degree, and then um, got into the workforce um, in uh, 2015 as an electrical engineer. So. Um, throughout that time, I had a couple of different job offers. Um, one was with uh, a company that does the like, the engineering for hydro projects all throughout Canada. Yeah. And unfortunately, um, the projects were shelved, and so the, I never did get the job. But I kept trying to get into the renewable space. I was just very interested in electricity generation. Having done the wiring part of it, I figured I kind of knew that. And, and I was interested in these big pieces of equipment like... Um, hydro generation plants but i ultimately I couldn't crack that so um i was working for a, a firm in calgary that was doing a lot of work for um the school boards down there yeah and for the recreation centers and um it started to kind of become a mandate to put solar on these buildings and there were a few folks in the firm that uh, that had that specialization, and and I thought uh, you know maybe that'd be a quick path to the the partnership was if I could be a leader in that space. Yeah, and so yeah, I I took courses outside of work. I tried to learn as much as I could about the technology as fast as I could, and um, ultimately, um, what happened was uh, a family friend knew that I was interested in this, knew my background, and. Uh, He's like, have you ever considered starting a solar company? And I was like, I mean, no, but I'm pretty young and let's take a chance. You know, I kind of want to be my own boss anyways. And uh, I maybe got this habit, this annoying habit of thinking I uh, I know best. And <laughs> I've been humbled quite a few times since starting this business. <laughs> Um, it does, it does take a team and, and yeah. you can't do it on your own and, um, you're certainly not the best at everything. So, but anyways, uh, yeah, so I, I did this project, um, uh, for a general contractor, Eagle Builders. I, I owe them a lot uh, of thanks as well for, uh, being a loyal customer over the years and, um, got this first job with them. Lost my shirt on it, but I got a second job, made yep. some money on that, and then it's just been a snowball ever since. <clears throat> Man. Long yeah. story. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I, yeah. So, okay. So tell me about that moment. Cause it's like we all need that kick in the butt to start our businesses, right? Like for me, it was the middle of COVID and I got kind of sat down in a room and said, like, look, we don't know what the next years look like. You should probably have a backup plan. And, you know, I, I'm incredibly thankful to this day to that employer for, for doing that for me. Cause really he did me a service, right? He gave me the opportunity to take that step to kick me in the butt. And I, I talk about it on the show all the time, but as entrepreneurs, we all have that kick in the butt. Something gave us that little shove to make us take that step. What was it for you that, that, that really gave you that shove? Cause you know what I mean? It's one thing to be, to be said, to be told, Hey, have you ever thought about starting your company is a whole nother thing to take that jump. What was that moment for you, Curtis? Oh, um, I would say I'm a pretty impulsive person and I maybe don't think things through as much as I should. And I was just like, let's see how it goes. Amazing. Um, yeah. It, yeah. It, that I, There wasn't a whole lot more to it than that. I think throughout my life, um, grow, so I grew up in Red Deer, Alberta, central Alberta, and there, 
it's very similar, I think, culture to Edmonton of um, about a blue collar entrepreneurialism, maybe compared to Calgary, which might be a little bit more corporate. Sure. Yeah. Um, just, but you know, all of the guys in Red Deer that were these huge success stories were guys that had gone out on their own and uh, and taken a leap and a risk, and trusted themselves to figure it out. And so I think, um, and, and you know, some of my good buddies growing up in high school, their dads had been like that. And so I kind of had always uh, maybe idolized these guys. Gotcha. And, um, oh, and, 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 you know, my father too, I think he kind of had had an opportunity maybe to start his own electrical contracting company at one point in time and didn't because he had three young kids at home and mm-hmm. that was a, risk. You know, a lot of risk. Right? Yeah. Um, and I think that growing up, I'd seen some of those regrets and I didn't want to have any regrets. And so it, Long story short, to just say, like, there was the foundation there to take a risk. And my wife and I, um, you work, we're young. And so if, if it doesn't work out or if it didn't work out, I had faith that I'd be able to get back into the workforce. And yeah. I'd yeah. Okay. No, it, it totally makes sense. You know, I mean, different people too, their path is different. Like, it's like you, you had it emulated for you your entire life. A lot of people don't have that opportunity. They don't get to see it in action. They don't get to see entrepreneurship. Um, you know, I mean, I was one of those people who did, but on a very small level, my dad was an entrepreneur. He had his own little maintenance firm uh, growing up, but he only ever worked for one person. Like he just had one client that kept him on for 30 years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so even and though that was, the way, it, that was it, the way it was. Yeah, yeah, it's just the way it was. Exactly. Yeah. So even though I saw it, I saw entrepreneurship, I saw that drive. I, it always looked like a job to me. It, it, uh, like it took me working underneath a successful entrepreneur, um, to be able to really see what, what I wanted to be the entrepreneur that I wanted to be, I think is maybe the better way of saying it. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, like since, uh, starting this business, I wouldn't say that I ever envisioned the company doing more than, for example, I don't know, $5 million a year in revenue. I was always just like, oh, that would be a great place to get to. Yeah. And then as I've, um, you know, I've joined a few different uh, groups like Entrepreneurs Organization, for example. Uh, and then some of our customers have been incredibly successful, started with humble beginnings and have done just have the most amazing stories. So the LaKelp brothers, Silent Air, um, you know, took that from a family HVAC company, Alberta-based, I think Drayton Valley is where they started, sold to Johnson Controls for north of $500 million. Um, and that's no secret, you know, but what a wonderful success story. Um, we did a, a project for Little Potato Company. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know if you've ever met Angela Santiago or and her husband, Frank, and heard their story, but it's so inspiring as well. Like they started with a little potato farm and now they sell potatoes all across North America. And have like, I was going to say, I I haven't had the pleasure of meeting them. I do hope to, um, I have been to the new little potato facility. It's not done yet, but my gosh, it is gigantic. And if I know correctly, you have that entire roof full of solar panels, don't you? We do. Yeah. I think there's uh, about 3,300 or 3,600 panels on there. So yeah, yeah it, it, I mean, and thank you so much to them for having the confidence us to deliver that project. Um, but it is the seventh largest in Western Canada rooftop array. And then it's the second largest built that's not a rec center wow. or a municipal facility. So with like private capital, which I think is pretty admirable. Totally. And it, it is like, you know, it's like, you know, it's one thing to hear us talking about it, but this building is absolutely massive when you consider that it's for potatoes. It's over <laughs> 200,000 square feet. It is, yeah. it is one of the largest buildings in Leduc at this point. It's absolutely crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, I just want to give a gigantic shout out because if, if you haven't had a chance, you need to go to the Inferno Solar website and see some of the work that they have completed. Some of these gigantic rooftop solar arrays. Curtis, they are amazing. They are impressive by any Thanks. by any feat. And I would say at this point, there's no question, you guys are the leader of rooftop solar in, in Alberta, if not Canada, at this point. Yeah, I think there's maybe I'm uh, I'm just a little bit more cautious to to toot our own horn too loud, but um, there's some pretty legitimate companies out in Ontario. There's a, a few um, that have been around in Alberta for you know 15 plus years. Um, but a lot of them seem to have pivoted to 
the big ground mounts arrays, yeah. which are a bit of a hot topic in Alberta right now. Yes. Um, you know, I, I've made the intentional decision to stick to the commercial and industrial building space because I believe in everything about it, you know, yeah. underutilized roof that's doing a very important job of keeping the wind and the weather out and the rain. Um, but you know, that's, it's not impacting anybody to put solar on top of that roof. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, the other benefit of locating the generation where the load is, is you don't need to upgrade the transmission network. You don't need to upgrade the distribution network, at least not as much. Um, you can generate a rate where it's needed. And I think that's a pretty powerful, um, value proposition. And I think that's, that's something that, you know, we hope to scale across North America one day, you know, I'm trying to think bigger after kind of, uh, seeing the success of silent air and little potato and, and yes. through these other amazing businesses that are heaven to base. Yeah. Like I agree, you know, like rooftop solar is hurting nobody period. You don't even see it half the time unless you know, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I get the argument for, you know, these gigantic megawatt fields full of solar arrays. I, I can understand that argument because it's visible. It's right there in your face and you can't really miss it. So I do get why, like, there may be some pushback on that front. However, I agree. I think rooftop solar there should be nobody complaining about nothing you don't see it half the time and it is frankly doing nothing but benefit for the companies that have these rooftop solars not to mention it benefits you if you're part of the grid because it's it's kicking back to the grid as well isn't it curtis uh yes they are kicking back to the grid and uh so i'll, I'll uh, sorry stammering there it's all good <laughs> most of our projects in fact all of our projects are grid tied well, what does that mean? Um, so that means that uh, when the electricity is generated on the roof, it will flow into the loads in the building. And if there is excess, which there often is, it flows out to the grid and it is recorded um, on a bi-directional meter, the credits at the time that you're selling to the grid. Okay. So one of the great things about it is that, uh, you know, we've had these really high, um, power price periods, right? Um, and so if you're selling during that hour, you get the spot market price during that hour. So I'm just gonna pull up the uh, the the trading page right now. So <clears throat> the 30 day rolling average price is 18.1 cents a kilowatt hour. Currently, as you and I are talking right now, and it's about noon, um, the spot market price is 60 cents a kilowatt hour. Wow. So a lot of our customers are exporting right now. So they're getting 60 cents a kilowatt hour for those sales. They will then buy it back at night for like five cents a kilowatt hour. Amazing. I mean, so it's an investment. It really is. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I wanted, I, to, you know, sorry, I just wanted to show a picture because, um, there, you see that <clears throat> it is just popping up. Yes, I can see it. Yeah. Like, These are all your I projects. Think, for those of you who can't see this, but the, we had an airplane fly over the north part of Nisku recently, and uh, there's all of these rooftop solar arrays. And I think what's pretty neat about it is they're all ours. So, <laughs> so the message is is spreading. That's so cool, Curtis. Can you send me this picture? And uh, for those of you that are listening, I will put this picture up um, on a post following this on LinkedIn. So if you go to the Business Development Podcast page on LinkedIn you will be able to see this picture for Inferno Solar's work. Um, Curtis, Sorry. I wanted to just ask, is there any difference? And like, you know, this is just me naive, not understanding electricity. And I'm sure I'm not alone in this. Is there a difference between power that's generated from solar and power that's generated, say, at a generating station? Uh, that's an interesting question. No, you know, it's all just um, voltage and current and where it's coming from. Um so no, there's no like physical di difference in it. Okay, yeah. I know it's kind of a silly question, but I just wasn't sure because you know what I mean? They're generated in in different ways. So I just wondered if there was a, a difference of of type. No, I, I think uh, an, easy, an easier way to try and visualize the electricity grid is by thinking of how water flows. And in fact, like when you're going through your apprenticeship, you'll often be told, well, voltage is like pressure. So, you know, you got to 
have a sturdy enough bit of insulation to withstand that pressure. Uh, current is like flow, so it's uh, so your amps. That's like how much water is flowing by. Well, it's how many units of charge are flowing by. But if we think about the grid as a bathtub, like maybe you just picture a, a subdivision or a group of industrial buildings, and the grid is the bathtub. Well, traditionally you'd have one tap flowing into that, and that would be like the feed from the substation, which is in turn fed from the generators. Yeah. And then you'd have a whole bunch of drains, and those are the loads going out to the buildings. All that solar is doing is adding a few more taps to that bathtub, and the water level never changes. It's just like the the flow amounts will change, right, to keep that water level the same. Does that make sense? Yeah, that actually is one of the better ways of explaining it. I, you know, I mean, I know I'm not alone in this because electricity, you know, I mean, unless you're an electrician, it looks like magic. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it kind of is, but yeah, <laughs> sure. Yeah. I always laugh because uh, I, I was fortunate enough to work with Gordon at IPEX Systems for uh, a few terms and it was, it was amazing. I got kind of a good crash course on electricity and, uh, and power generation and how power works. And I'll tell you what, like I had all that time and it still just seems like magic when you look at a, when you look at a big switch gear or control panel and you're like, how in the world does this thing work? <laughs> it still looks like I magic. I was just over at, uh, at Gordon's shop there at the end of the day yesterday. He was showing me a project that he's really proud of. And yeah, we're, we're using him on a few projects going forward here. Um, and yeah, shout out to Gordon just for being um, a creative problem solver and building us the equipment that we need. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Gordon is awesome. And uh, I've, I'm hoping to have him on the show soon. I really am. I've been, he's so busy, you know, you gotta, mm. you gotta give him less work, Curtis, cause he actually is too busy. <laughs> cause I need to get him on this show, but he's too busy to come on right now. <laughs> yeah. what, one thing I think that the audience might find interesting is, is just kind of going back to that power market piece yeah. for a second. Um, you know, a lot of people will, will ask us like, well, you know, do I need batteries? And I kind of talked about that grid piece. So we're trying to figure out what's the value proposition of batteries. Cause every time we've done the, the napkin map, it hasn't really penciled out um, thus far, but I think with the way power prices are going, um, it will. And I also think that as like loads start to shoot up, on the EV charging side of things, that's going to open up opportunities for batteries to alleviate other problems. Yes. Is but, there, sorry, Curtis, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. Go, no, you go ahead. I was just going to say like, what is the issue with batteries? Why are they not a great solution yet? You know, like, is it the technology is just not there? What, what is our challenge with batteries at the moment? I, I think the technology is there. I think that, um, the scale of manufacturing isn't, and therefore the cost is still high. And I think that folks are, you know, there's a lot of research going on into different chemistries still to try and find ones that are more cost effective to produce, basically. So, okay. so cost is the main problem. I mean, um, we have a partnership with Xro Technologies down in Calgary, who's manufacturing a very interesting battery product that uses second life cells out of EVs. Okay. So it actually has charge discharge unit that monitors each individual cell to say because like when they come out of a, an electric car they're gonna have different wear patterns sure some will be more worn some will be more new ish and so they'll have to be treated differently to optimize that so um but yeah i mean like these battery banks are six thousand pounds they're both the size of uh well they're about two and a half feet deep by call it six feet wide by eight feet tall wow and uh they're like 200 grand each. Oh, wow. Wow. So trying to think through, okay, what, um, you know, how much value is that providing? Because ain't nobody giving me $200,000 to put this in mm -hmm. unless they can see a return on it. So Yeah. Yeah. Like typical business. You got to be able to show the value. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And then, yeah, you know, I mentioned no. before, like people are only buying solar from us because we can show them a return on it. Yeah. You know, it's yep. great to check the ESG box, but. Are you guys currently doing residential solar? Are you sticking very much to industrial? Commercial and industrial is what interests me the most. Um, why? Well, because if you want to put solar on a roof, uh, commercial industrial, you can do it probably a dollar ten per watt would be the cheapest, up to say, you know, a dollar fifty, dollar seventy-five would be a lot of projects up to say two fifty a watt for. Uh, more complicated.
dedicated job. Okay. Residential, I think you start at 225 a watt and you go up to 350 a watt. Gotcha. Gotcha. So you get a lot more impact per dollar spent on these big roofs. And it's just Um, due to the volume that you're installing them in, correct? Yeah. I mean, there's all the fixed price of doing a job, right? Your permits, drawings, time spent dealing with the inspectors, um, time spent designing, moving to site, demoving from site. When you put that over 200,000 square feet, that's a much smaller percentage than over two, sorry, you put that over 200,000 square feet, that's a much smaller percentage than over 2,000 square feet. Yes, yes, I yes, that... That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. So I, I do want to ask you, you know, you started this in 2019. So literally the beginning of COVID. Oh. <laughs> Tell me how, about COVID. What was COVID like starting a business? Not just starting a business, but frankly, thriving. <laughs> how did you do that? Uh, lots of lost sleep, uh, blood, sweat, and tears. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it has not been easy. Um, when we started in 2019, um, I hired a couple of electricians and we got to work on those projects I talked about. And there was some grant funding under the Notley government. It was like 30%. And uh, yeah, as I was kind of going out on my own, that immediately dried up. And so I think what happened is we elected the conservative government. We had no problem with that, but that funding immediately went away and it was, yeah, I had to kind of, reevaluate the whole sales proposal value proposition. So that was tough. Then you know, we kind of get through that, starting to get some momentum again, 2020 hits and COVID hits and <laughs> it's like being put in a washing machine. Um, didn't know what side was up and, and uh, okay, so you know, what are the masking requirements and do we have to change our hiring policies and then there was a whole like kind of political bent to the whole thing. And yeah, it was really, really tough. Um, I guess the good news is that everybody was going through it. Mm-hmm. All business owners were struggling to navigate the new normal. And um, I think one of the reasons we were able to succeed through that is I'm a millennial. I've always been used to working on computers. And so we were ready to go remote right away. Yeah. Um, everything, all of our software is set up to work on the cloud and stuff like that. And so um, we just did that. And then, yeah, and then just hard work, perseverance and trying to earn the repeat business of our customers and earn their referrals. And that's been really, there's not, not a whole lot of mystery to it. It's just trying to do a good job for people. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I just, you know, I mean, it, you have done exceptionally well considering that that timeline the challenges that you faced i know when we met the first time masking was still a big thing i know when we yeah. went to we were we were all wearing masks until we sat down at our table so i i very much remember the time and i remember the challenges with that especially for me always advocating for in-person meetings wherever possible um yeah trying to get used to a team's environment and a lot more video calls and a lot less in person you know like you said the work from home wasn't the challenge it was the fact that business is built in person relationships are built in person and you need to be able to take that time to try to get together in a room and a situation like COVID makes that really, really tough. And yeah, just congratulations. You, you did an absolutely great job. And not only did you guys get through COVID, you grew through COVID, which is very impressive. Yeah. And, and, you know, I really owe it all to our customers. Um, Telus has been incredibly loyal. Um, I, I owe them a huge thanks. Uh, Eagle builders, uh, York realty, um, the folks at Silent Air, uh, folks at North American Construction Group. I mean, that's, we owe it all to our customers. Yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> Any business does, right? Like the reality is you don't grow without customers. So I, I'm right there with you. I totally get it. Yeah, I mean, try and take a partnership approach to it too. And, you know, um, try and have skin in the game to, yeah. So, <clears throat> yeah. So tell me like, you know, obviously solar technology is changing and ever evolving that tech is just always adapting what has changed in the last five years with with regards to solar technology are they getting more efficient what's changing what's what's getting better or what's uh you know what is what is it all about so what what has changed the the theme has been for constantly kind of higher wattage output modules i wouldn't say that they're necessarily getting a whole lot more efficient like per unit of area yep um, it's just that uh, the manufacturers have 
wisely kind of decided like, you know, if we make these things bigger, it doesn't necessarily increase the amount of labor that goes into a project, but it does decrease other elements of it, um, uh, which drives the cost down. So that's been maybe the theme is just like bigger and bigger and bigger uh, solar panels, which have higher wattage outputs. I see. Uh, on the, there's kind of, uh, I guess, like three or four major parts to a solar system. You have your modules, aka your solar panels. You've got your racking. That's what it all sits on. Yeah. You've got your inverters. That's what converts the direct current to alternating current. Direct current is what the solar panels generate. Alternating current is what the grid uses. And then uh, you've got uh, the balance of systems. So, you know, wire, transformers, breakers, etc. Typical electrical school. So, yeah, so we talked about the modules are getting kind of just bigger, uh, not necessarily a, a lot better, but uh, that's also driven the cost per watt down. Um, racking, um, you know, we use uh, mostly a Canadian manufacturer called Terragen. Uh, we use a couple other manufacturers uh, out of Canada as well. Um, KB Racking, HB Racking, a few other uh, great partners. And, uh, you know, what we're just kind of constantly focused on is like, how can we make these systems super resilient in the face of increasing extreme weather? Um, yeah. How, and, and so part of that is like, okay, all the materials, aluminum, aluminum doesn't rust. Yeah. Um, you know, how can we over-design them or what's our design best practice to um, optimize the amount of energy out? One thing that we do different, I think, from our competitors in the rooftop space is, um, we get more energy out of a panel than our competitors do based on how we design, how we string the panels, how we tilt the panels, space them, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of science essentially that goes into making sure that they're set up correctly. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, the final piece is the inverter that converts DC to AC. Um, Canada is a, a bit of a funny market where we have 600 volt equipment. A lot of our buildings are 600 volt. Um, that, as far as I know, it doesn't exist anywhere else in the world. The United States is all 480 volt buildings and 208. Okay. Um, so that's a that's a bit of a challenge. There's, there's not that many people going after this market of 35 million people when California alone has like 45 to 50 million people. Sure. So a lot of the products are built for the U.S. market, and we have to figure out how to make them work. I see. I see. So, so yeah, you're if anybody in the audience uh, is big into power electronics, wants to manufacture an inverter together, give us a call. Uh, we'd love to partner on that. Calling all inverter builders. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, no, it's so that's so that's interesting. So you're having to figure out how to use technology that's not necessarily built for for our power systems and you're trying to figure out how to integrate them. That's got to be a challenge. Yeah, and do it at uh, do it reliably, and do it at a good price. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's that that doesn't sound easy, Curtis. There's nothing easy about this <laughs> this industry. I, I feel like, yeah. I, sometimes I wonder if it was the right one to go into. <laughs> <laughs> well, either way, you were successful. So I imagine that even if it wasn't, you would have figured it out. So, you know, I want to chat about. Okay, you know, we've I think we've built a lot of interest in solar here, Curtis. I think we have. I think you've done a great pitch as to why we should consider it. Let's talk to our business owners who don't have solar on their roof right now. What would you tell them? What is what is an initial meeting look like? And what does planning for a solar project look like? What should they consider? Are there things that they should be thinking about? Um, are there risks that they should consider? Yeah, I mean, um, <clears throat> Some buildings just aren't a good candidate. Lots of buildings are. And um, then there's kind of two different types of buildings. There's ones that are being built right now. And then there's ones that are existing, existing stock. And so we like all kinds. We like retrofits. We like new builds. Um, we prefer scale. Uh, so 10,000 square feet and up, I would say, is, is kind of where we start to get interested and where I think we can provide a compelling uh, solution. Um, we provide financing options, which folks uh, are, are quite interested in. Um, you know, the, the niche and the markets that the building types that we like are industrial, powder coating, welding, fabrication, even warehousing and distribution, refrigeration, data centers, uh, grow facilities. Um, you can use a little bit of power or a lot of power. We can generally find a solution for you. Um, and the returns 
are generally better than they are on the real estate itself. So that's compelling to a lot of folks. You know, like if you uh, if you think buying your own building is a good investment, well, putting solar on it's a I'm, I can tell you it's a better investment. I, I also imagine it adds to the property value quite a bit. I think that is a little bit to be determined. We've been working with the brokerage community about like transaction of buildings with solar on it. How does it affect the value? Yeah. Um, that's slightly murky still. I think that an educated buyer will see the value, but um, yeah, we're still working through that. You know what it does affect the value on is if it's a leased building and this can impact the basic rent mm -hmm. by definition, that makes the building more valuable. Yes. So a lot of our, our uh, great customers have been landlords and tenants, and uh, we've got a program that uh, works for both of them very well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you mentioned that York Realty is one of your, one of your clients, right? And they're building these gigantic brand new warehousing facilities. That would be an ideal client for you would be, uh, you know, builders such as that, correct? Yeah. Yep. Shout out to Hopewell as well. Um, we're doing quite a bit of work with Hopewell this year on some spec buildings to help them achieve lead. Uh, but yeah, it'll have the fringe benefit of also making that space uh, more valuable to the tenants. And then, yeah, we've got uh, Cameron Developments. Shout out to those guys. Uh, they've been a wonderful partner. Um, I hope I'm not missing anybody there. But <laughs> <laughs> You'll remember right after the show. <laughs> and then you can yeah. shoot me a message. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, um, what is the lifespan of these arrays? So, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, it's quite an investment to put them up. Uh, do they last quite some time? Yeah, the, the solar panels are made from aluminum and tempered glass and a little bit of polysilicon. And uh, it's a it's a very resilient product. It doesn't rust. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't corrode. Um, they have a 10-year manufacturer's warranty on like how it's constructed. And then they have a 25-year warranty on the output. And these warranties are held by like the very large multinational insurance companies like Chubb and Lloyd's of London. And, yeah. You know. The really big insurers and so what they're guaranteeing there is that after 25 years that panel will provide 83 percent of what it provided on the first day yeah so that's the degradation that we're we're talking about um and there's plenty of examples of uh, solar panels working in hotter drier or more humid uh climates that have been running for 25 to 30 uh, plus years so yeah. you know, so there is the track record there um the weak points on array will be the inverters. Like um, their warranty is typically five to ten years, and they don't have any moving parts. They're kind of like a variable frequency drive. If people know what those are, yeah. And uh, you know those things they can last ten to fifteen years. And I have seen inverters that are seventeen years old still going. Um, but uh, generally, we model. You know, you have to repair or upgrade those things sometime between year ten and fifteen. Okay. Are there like any risks? And I, you know, I mean, I know that, you know, there's always risks in everything, but are there any things that like, you know, a building owner or a homeowner, you know, I think we're talking to a lot of homeowners too, that have solar arrays on their roof. Are there any risks to putting solar, solar up, Curtis? I think if you go with the cheapest installer, you are exposing yourself to quite a bit of risk. Um, we've all heard the horror stories of rooftop fires or leaks that happen on I would say more so a raise down in the United States because, um, you know, they will use massive amounts of laborers that maybe haven't been trained properly and they're maybe lacking a bit of the QAQC. I think in Alberta, we have some of the strongest tradespeople in the world, uh, some of the best training and trades programs. I agree. So I think that it's a little less likely to happen here, but um, you definitely want to go with not the cheapest provider. Um, you don't want somebody cutting corners because like our systems, they're 1,500 volts DC. That's pretty spicy. Yeah. Um, that's basically, and, and you can weld with it, you know, if, wow. if it's, uh, so you want to go with somebody who's, uh, taking care of your roof first and foremost, um, putting something that's safe on your roof and is going to be around to, uh, maintain it and, uh, and honor those warranties yes yes okay you touched on something that i've i've always wondered about okay so we live in alberta we get 18 feet of snow <laughs> i'm exaggerating <laughs> but a lot yeah. do you like how do you maintain a solar system yeah for us um 
And we're honing our operations and maintenance program based on best practices from some of these amazing multinational customers we're working with. So we're building on the shoulders of giants, I would say. Uh, and then a lot of members of our team have come from, uh, have been in the industry longer than this company's been around, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten years. So our O&M uh, process includes, um, we want to retorque the majority of fasteners every year because these things do get exposed to a lot of high winds yeah. and with wind comes vibration and with vibration comes loose bolts. Yeah. And that is not something you want. It's a recipe for disaster. So that's part of it. Uh, we want to visually inspect how the racking is interfacing with the roof. You know, you might put a $500,000 solar array on a $5 million roof. So you got to keep that roof in good shape. Yeah. So that's another piece. Um, we're also going to, we bought some very sophisticated equipment to test all the DC wiring, make sure that there's no nicks in the insulation that can lead to shocks or fires. Um, and then finally, we're going to pull out some thermal cameras, look at the, the electrical cabinets, look at the modules. Uh, we'll even fly over with the drone with the thermal camera and look for generally heat is an indicator of something going wrong. Okay. In the electrical system. Okay. So, yeah. but, but hang on. So I don't want to scare people off with that because that whole thing is about, you know, half a percent to 1% of the initial capital cost of the project. So it's, it's pretty negligible and we build that into the financial models for everyone. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Cause like, do you, are they self clearing? Like do solar panels have the ability to melt the snow on them? Uh, great question. Um, I'll share my screen again. Maybe that's not helpful for the audience, being that this is a podcast. Um, so, snow. This has been studied extensively by Northern Alberta Institute of Technology, Nate, right here in Edmonton. They built two test arrays, one in Grand Prairie, one on the roof of the Edmonton campus. They put a bunch of panels at different angles, and then they put um, uh, microinverters so they could actually measure the output of each individual panel. And then some poor soul had to go sweep the snow off of one row and leave it on the other row. And then over four years, they analyzed the output. The difference is less than four and a half percent. Wow, really? So, you know what my solution is? Put four and a half percent more panels on the roof and you just got the same amount of energy out. <laughs> wow, that's it, hey? On an annual basis, that's it. That is unbelievable. So it so goes let's, right through. But let's think about that for a second. So why is that? Yeah, well, in the wintertime here, we've got like four hours of daylight, right? Sure. We basically live in a closet <laughs> for a few months. Yeah. So even though there's snow on the panels, there's no sunlight to begin with. But in the summertime, our inverters will kick on at like four in the morning and they won't turn off until 1130 at night. Yeah. Days are so long. So you just make up for it seasonally. Gotcha. Gotcha. So like if you were to take it out over the course of a year, it's negligible. That's right. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, and I don't want to... BS people, but there's a very little production coming out of most rooftop arrays, December, January, February. Sure. Um, there's certain things you can do in the design to mitigate that. And I think that we've, we've done that in, in our kind of unique design. And then uh, you can always augment it with some solar panels on the wall because the sun is low in the sky in the winter. That's yeah. going to do very well on a wall. And you know what doesn't stick to the wall? Snow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you for clarifying, Curtis. So tell me, what does the future of solar look like? You know, like what does the next five years look like? Are you able to read the future and let us know what that, uh, what that's going to be? Uh, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a challenge to focus uh, a little bit in this space. I feel like I'm kind of constantly pulled and, and look at different opportunities. What's the future hold? Um, you know, generally speaking, I think uh, we're going to continue to grow um, in this market and in others. And, um, you know, what those verticals are going to be exactly, I'm still working out. But I think there's big opportunity in EVs and EV charging. There's big opportunity in, in more solar and in storing that energy with batteries. Um, and, uh, you know, creating more inertia in the grid you think because the, the grid is a unique system you think the road system has storage in terms of parking lots the oil and gas system has storage in terms of tanks and gasoline tanks and fuel stations and stuff like that there's inertia but the electricity system the 
power that's feeding our computers right now is generated right now somewhere in Alberta. Yeah. There's very, the inertia comes from actually big spinning gas turbines uh, or increasingly we'll probably be met with batteries. So I think um, there's, there's going to be increased electrification and there's just a lot of opportunities for us in that space. And uh, what those are exactly, I'm still working on. <laughs> well, either way, it's going to be good, I think. I, I think we're moving in the right direction. I'm looking forward to seeing what happens. For sure. And I think, you know, um, a lot of people poo-poo EVs and they're like, oh, the range sucks and they're going to use so many precious metals and blah, blah, blah. They're a blast to drive. If you like, like sports cars, quick acceleration, that thrill, like, I mean, most most families are two-car families anyways. Get one for your in-town day-to-day yeah, and then have a gas car for the weekends and one that, day the EV charging infrastructure will be there that you can maybe have two, but you know. that actually makes like the most sense. Totally. I totally agree. Cause that's the argument, right? The argument is, well, yeah, what if I got to go to Calgary or what if I got to go all the way to Grand Prairie and back then I can't, but yeah, it's like most, most families have two cars anyway. So <laughs> why not? Also, <laughs> totally. And I mean, if you don't, you can rent the gas car on the weekend for sure. a couple hundred bucks Yeah, and you're going to save way more than that on like, I spent uh, 600 bucks charging my car last year. That's what really? Yeah, and I drove twenty thousand k. A lot amazing. of it was supercharging too. That like, is amazing. That's I've awesome. taken it skiing in Jasper. I've taken it to Lake Louise for meetings. I go down to Calgary all the time for meetings, and uh, you have to plan your day a little bit differently. Sure, but I just line up when I need to eat with when I'm in charge. It's not a, it's not rocket science. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. No, that's awesome. So. If you could give one piece of advice, Curtis, to new entrepreneurs to just give them that little nudge, what might that be? I think like it was a wake up call to me. Just um, it's not like Instagram entrepreneurs. It's a lot of hard work Mm -hmm. and uh, it's not going to be easy, but you have to persevere. And I think you need to surround yourself with people that believe in your vision as well. Yeah. Because there's going to be hard days and you're going to need that encouragement. Yeah. And um, I'm, uh, I've applied to the EO mentorship program. So I'm looking for a mentor to, to kind of help me take my company to the next level. Um, and a big problem for me to, I guess, sorry, you know, I, I heard that like Warren Buffett say something once upon a time that uh, the best investment you can make in is in yourself. So I'm taking more courses to become a better leader to empower my people to get out of their way to trust them um that because that's maybe an area of weakness for me is i try to do too much myself so yeah um, yeah i think i I think that's an entrepreneur problem in general (laughs) yeah you need to you need to have some self-awareness and you need to have some people to challenge you about like your strengths and weaknesses and then you need to put yourself in your flow state of where you best 80 percent of the time yeah, so I'm trying I, to do all those things. <laughs> I agree completely. I, you know, I've had to do that a lot myself over the last year because, you know, operating, I've been operating my own business now for three years, pretty much by myself right up till this last year where I started to grow. And I, you know what I mean? I have put an absolute ton of trust in our employees because I think you have to, you have to be able to trust them to move forward, to be able to take those next steps. And so I have had to work with myself to be able to relinquish some of that control and say, you know what? You got this. You just show me what it looks like when we're done. <laughs> Yeah, come to me with questions. Absolutely. Here's the the guidelines I want you to work within, and you know, but you can't. Um, I think what what I've learned is um, people need to be given the opportunity to succeed and to fail. Yeah, and um, people need to be trusted. Uh, sorry, and then, what was the other piece? I just kind of lost it. No, that's <laughs> okay. That's okay. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. People need to be given the opportunity. I think that's a great place to leave off. They need to be given the opportunity one way or another because they grow either way. Yeah, and, and what's more frustrating than somebody micromanaging you? Right? Yeah. Stuff that fulfillment when you don't have agency to create and to do and execute and all that stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that brings us to the end, Curtis. This has been episode 64 of the Business Development Podcast. We have been graced with the president of Inferno Solar, Curtis Craig. Thank you for coming on the show, Curtis. Thanks for having me, Kelly. This is my very first podcast. You killed and, it. Um, I hope there's opportunity to do more in the future. Oh, I have a feeling you're going to do many, many more. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time, this has been episode 64. We'll catch you on the flip side. 
This has been the Business Development Podcast with Kelly Kennedy. Kelly has 15 years in sales and business development experience within the Alberta oil and gas industry and founded his own business development firm in 2020. His passion and his specialization is in customer relationship generation and business development. The show is brought to you by Capital Business Development, your business development specialists. For more, we invite you to the website at www.capitalbd.ca. See you next time on the Business Development Podcast. Business Rockstars, we at the Business Development Podcast humbly invite you to be part of our journey. Despite our global reach spanning over 130 countries and our status as an award-winning show, we remain committed to delivering valuable insights and engaging content to our audience of decision makers. With two episodes released every single week and a back catalog of over 100 episodes, we strive to provide our listeners with the latest strategies and trends in business development and business growth. Why consider sponsoring us? Our listeners trust us to deliver authentic, informative content, making it an ideal platform for you to showcase your brand in a genuine and meaningful way. Choose from flexible sponsorship packages tailored to fit your advertising needs. With a back catalog of over 100 episodes and an average of eight new episodes released every single month, there are plenty of opportunities for you to connect with our audience. If you believe that your brand aligns with our humble mission, Reach out to us at podcast at capital bd.ca. Let's start a conversation and explore how we can collaborate to elevate your brand together. Thank you for considering us. Send us an email at podcast at capital bd.ca and let's partner for the future.